Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hello, this is Jason Nias from Digital River, and joining me today is Jeff Kapitas, who is the Vice President of E-Commerce and Digital at Avid. Uh, Their tagline is Powering Greater Creators. Uh, They've been revolutionizing the media world for about 30 years by digitizing content with Avid's nonlinear editor and continuing to do so with technology for creating, storing, distributing, and monetizing film, television, and music. So they do a lot. Uh, Jeff leads strategy for end-to-end digital experience globally for Avid. He has a long history that includes a stop at Ladon, a huge B2B industrial packaging company here in the United States. And Jeff was the head of e-commerce at Pure Hockey and is still a volunteer uh, hockey coach in his community. And even back in the day, which I'm sure we're gonna get into, He founded his own record company, and he even secured a deal with Sony. So not too bad of a start getting into the music industry. Uh, Full disclosure, uh, Avid is a Digital River client utilizing our Salesforce Commerce Cloud, and you've probably heard me speak about Avid in numerous podcasts with people like Andy Peebler. Uh, So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, So first off, Jeff, welcome. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Look forward to chatting. Fantastic. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, first off, can you introduce your company, Avid, to our listeners, uh, who you guys are and, and you know, your mission and, and what you're up to? Sure thing. So Avid is, uh, as you mentioned, now 30 or so years into its existence. And we own hundreds and hundreds of patents for uh, things like nonlinear digital editing. We were the first company that sort of introduced that. And Chances are, if, you, uh, if you've seen a Hollywood movie, and I'm guessing you have, uh, it was edited uh, on an Avid machine using some kind of mix of uh, Avid hardware and software. So uh, movie production, editing software, uh, storage, uh, on the video side, you know, we, are, um, uh, we are one of the first, first to mind when it comes to large video productions for movies, TV, anything video. And then on the, uh, on the on the audio side of the business, uh, we also own and operate the Pro Tools uh, music editing software, dig- digital audio workstation, or DAW, as a lot of people call them. And that is a uh, that is a market leader in terms of uh, music production. And again, software and associated hardware. Uh, we sell to uh, we sell to large enterprise. We sell you know through channel and resellers. We sell to the uh, individual creative directly through e-commerce. It's a pretty big business when you when it comes right down to it, and uh, it introduces all sorts of um, all sorts of complications and uh, fun, and uh, lots of uh, lots of scrambling and lots of work. Yep. Well, it's uh, just speaking on behalf of the the Digital River piece where we intersect and, and help you guys. It's a fantastic business. Uh, I would love to know. 
uh, you know, you talk about all the different kind of nooks and crannies in your business, B2B, B2C, uh, global, physical, digital. Where's growth going to come from? Can you, can you talk about some of those big growth areas and drivers? You guys cover so much surface area. There has to be so many kind of good ideas and great ideas for growth. Can you unpack some of that for us? Yeah, sure thing. It's really all about subscriptions right now. That's where we're seeing most of our growth. You know, we're a public company, so <clears throat> all of that, uh, all that information is available in our, you know, in our public filings. But, you know, the bullet points are, you know, at the end of Q2, our subscription revenue was up 68% year over year. Um, you know, gross margins were up. Uh, companies recurring revenue uh, was 69% of Avid's business. Last year at this time, it was 58%. So I'm not telling anybody any secrets here. It's all in our, it's all in our public filings. But, uh, you know, subscriptions is, is the direction we're heading in. And, and, you know, we have already made tremendous gains on the e-commerce side. So, the, so the, you know, the individual, uh, the individual creatives uh, are the ones who, um, uh, who really first started driving our subscription business. And now we're, uh, we're starting to see uh, a lot of that momentum uh, flow into the uh, into the enterprise side of the business where where you know we do offer some subscriptions and we'll be offering much more so yeah subscriptions is a uh, it's a big big part of the business and, and as you know it's uh, you know especially especially around covid right when you can when you have that predictable uh, that predictable line of revenue uh, that is really where uh, where you can find a lot of safety as a company, right? It's the non-recurring part of our business uh, is that that's where we're struggling. Again, public, public knowledge, it's in our, it's in our filings. Uh, you know, the non-recurring part of the business is where COVID uh, hit us harder than subscription. Well, you mentioned COVID. I'm glad you did. Uh, how has COVID impacted Avid? I mean, both in terms of financial health, you described and subscriptions are continuing to do well and growing off the charts. But in terms of, so, so you could speak about that, but you could also potentially speak about how it's changed the way you guys work and target customers and market. Have, have you guys seen any noticeable changes to your business? Yes. Uh, you know, I think like a lot of other businesses, there was, uh, there was a scramble initially. You know, we kind of got shut off overnight, right? We were, we were sort of living very normally on March 11th, I think it was. And then suddenly on March 12th, Everything was closed, uh, and you know the, our our uh, our offices were were shut down. Everything was shut down. So it was it was you know maybe not that quickly of a change overnight, but it see it felt like it when I look at it in retrospect. Uh, things got shut down pretty quick, and that you know that meant uh, that meant the postponement and cancellation of like major film and television productions. It meant major sporting events, as we all know from watching, you know, all these events happening with nobody in the stands, right? Um, live music events, all of these things just sort of stop dead in their tracks, right? And you know what that means? That means that there's less video production and there's less audio production happening in general, right? So, so that is one way that, you know, again, going back to the non-recurring revenue part of our business, that's where uh, you know, that's where, that's where we took a bit of a hit, right? Uh, and then there's some other sort of shrapnel that comes from that, the, you know, the delays in, in purchasing and projects by our enterprise customers and channel partners. There is disruption to the supply chain, you know, caused by 
distribution and other logistical issues. Uh, government restrictions played a little bit of a part. Um, and then there's just overall like sort of a decreased productivity due to travel bans, work from home policies. Uh, you know, we, we, we went through some shelter in place orders, uh, you know, regionally. Uh, all of that stuff sort of rolled up in, uh, you know, in Q2 and a little bit in Q1 as well as it was March. Um, you know, that, that, that is where, I think that's where we felt it the most, but, but the biggest piece is just the entire shutdown of sort of the, the film, uh, you know, the, 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 the film and TV industry, right? Just less need, uh, less need all around. And so, you know, I think, uh, the, so again, the non-recurring parts of the business were the most adversely impacted and probably will be, you know, for the rest of 2020, may, maybe longer. Um, but we are starting to see a little bit of a bounce back. Well, thank goodness you have, I mean, you, you describe the world as, as in a lot of the things that basically are, are headwinds to your business in that last part. But obviously the good news about Avid is this balance of business with the consumer business, the subscription business. It's really making sure that Avid continues to be a very healthy company. Would you, would you agree with that? hundred percent. Right. Uh, you know, when we look at our channel partners, you know, and resellers, they, they were adversely affected as well. Uh, so it's not just, it wasn't just the enterprise business, right? The, the business of our channel partners, uh, temporary reduced demand, um, you know, they, they have to remain careful with their orders, right? Because they're, you know, they're, they're also feeling it pretty hard. Um, so that, you know, tightly managing their inventory levels, like, you know, so at the channel side of the business, resellers, like also, uh, we also felt it, right? But um, uh, on the, as you said, on the e-commerce and subscription side, you know, we referenced it earlier, 68% year-over-year growth in Q2, right? That's the, you know, we did see a bump. Of course, we saw a bump from COVID. All these like production companies had these people now sitting at home, right? And so, uh, so COVID did drive, you know, a part of that, a part of that subscription bump that we saw in Q2, but, but take COVID out of it. The past year, 2018, 2019, like the subscription business has, has been growing tremendously uh, for Avid. So that, that growth pattern had already been established. It just got, it just sort of got uh, shot like a comet a little bit uh, when COVID hit. Yep, absolutely. Well, you know, you're a marketing guy with marketing background as well. Have you changed any of the kind of digital strategies around messaging or targeting or uh, trying to find more kind of prosumers that uh, that you can target with your with your e-commerce strategy? Can you can you share some of the kind of thoughts around some of those marketing strategic planning meetings? Not as not as much as you might think. Um, You know, we did. We did, of course. Again, when we talk about scrambling in March, uh, there was, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a reorientation towards uh, marketing to the remote user, right? That was probably the biggest thing that we did uh, in terms of uh, in terms of changing marketing. But again, I'll you know refer to the year-over-year growth on the e-commerce side, which is, um, you know, it's where we spend, I'd say, most of our money on paid search and. Uh, in other, in other, you know, paid media, um, that group, the growth was already happening, right? So we were sort of thinking like, gosh, 
I don't know if we want to like change anything too material here because, sure. because it's performing so well. And by the way, uh, you know, not only do we work with Digital River uh, on, you know, on our e-commerce business, but we also, uh, we also are utilizing your market force agency, right? So we've got, yep. we've got a couple, we've got a couple um, different ways we're working with you guys. And, and that piece of the business is, is really doing well. So, you know, when you ask if we changed anything, yeah, we, you know, we did, there was a, there was a, uh, there was a new focus on, you know, enabling remote workflows for sure. We, we stood up some content really quick around that. Um, we did, um, we did offer some special, uh, deals to, uh, to our cut, to our customers across all of our swim lanes, uh, around, um, around getting, getting the software that they needed quickly. Uh, so, you know, we did some incentives there. Um, did some incentives to students for the summer. Um, but by and large, like in terms of marketing messaging, other than sort of, uh, you know, focusing on those remote workflows, it, it wasn't a huge uh, shift. Yep. And I also have heard that uh, you guys are going to continue to invest more in your international targeting of customers as well. So that's probably part of the, part of the narrative that you described around messaging and, trying to do educational discounts and things of that nature, just making sure it's a global program, not a domestic program. For sure. Yes, for sure. Uh, you know, we, as we think about, as we think about going forward, um, the, you know, the international market is definitely on our mind. It is, uh, I mean, it's part of the reason it's part of the, it's part of the uh, reason why we work with digital river, right? You guys are very strong on that side of the business for us in terms of, um, you know, in terms of international payments and, and having those relationships. And, uh, but in terms of marketing, yeah, you know, we're, we're definitely looking to invest in uh, not only like language translations, but, but cultural translations, right? There's language translation. And then there's also like, Hey, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write it that way. If I was in X country, you know, I would, I would, I would use this terminology or I would use that terminology. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, that I'm thinking about sort of going forward. We do translate, uh, we do translate our, our website into several languages, but we can do better. Uh, and, and we know that there's an opportunity there and, and uh, we do, you know, we, we would like to be able to invest there. Yep. You know, there's a, uh, speaking of, of the importance of kind of, really relevant translation. There's a, uh, Jimmy Fallon has a, has a bit where they take a song in English, they translate it to a language and then they Google translate it back. Uh-huh. I've seen that. I, <laughs> sometimes when I look at uh, websites trying to market to people, I, I kind of envision how badly it could go. Yeah. Yeah. I've run, you know, it's funny. I've run, uh, I've run financial models based on, um, you know, here's what I think we could, here's what I think we could be doing. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of revenue or engagement, if we had um, you know if we just invested more heavily uh, into language translations and uh, God the models uh, you know even even at the base level forget about you know best case the models even at the base level uh, are are pretty enticing. They're enormous. Yeah, enormous. Yeah. We, we we see some of the same things around. Uh, you know, Digital River prides ourselves on trying to process transactions onshore or in country. And uh, the lift or benefits you get 
from being more local, from translations to payment types to local acquiring to local selling, it's enormous. And I don't think most brands really appreciate how much they're leaving on the table. I agree. And, you know, to that end, I'm even thinking about like dedicating headcount to it. You know, I I don't know. uh, It probably won't be tomorrow, but, uh, but, but I think it's a good investment to, to put somebody on that case uh, you know, as a, as a full-time headcount, there's enough to do there. <laughs> there, there is. Yeah. 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 Being culturally relevant is a full-time job. It is. Yep. We had a, uh, one of our early podcasts is, uh, with a company called Avast software, A-V-A-S-T. And, uh, these guys are world-class in taking a market and just dedicating tons of time and focus to it to get it right and then move on and do the next. And they're all about kind of unlocking the full potential of each market. So interesting listen if folks want to go back and kind of connect the dots between what Jeff and I are talking about here. Um, So let's transition a little bit. Uh, I want to hear more about your journey, Jeff. Uh, Obviously, the record company story is one that's very interesting. Perhaps kind of start with uh, you graduated from Kent State. And, you know, I've heard the old saying, can't read, can't read, can't write, can't date. <laughs> so maybe start there and take us through a little of your journey, how we end in a place where, you know, you're running digital and e-commerce for basically one of the world's greatest digital media co- or digital companies. I appreciate that compliment. Uh, the Kent yes. State one or? <laughs> <laughs> well, the avid one, but. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, yeah, so I, I did spend four years at, uh, at Kent State in Ohio. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I graduated from Kent uh, with a degree in, uh, in mass communications and TV production, right? I was, was sort of hell-bent on, on being involved in, in live television production. I had the benefit of, uh, you know, I have a family friend who worked for CBS Sports back then. And, you know, I had the benefit of, of watching live sports happen on TV in a production truck or in a production environment. And it was, um, it was electrifying. It was something I wanted to do. I wanted to produce and direct or direct, you know, live sporting events. And um, so, you know, I got to watch the World Series in a production truck. Uh, I got to watch a lot of golf tournaments in a production truck. It was just, you know, it was... Uh, it was like a drug to to watch that and like want to be a part of it. I got out of college and thought with my great internship experience, I'd easily find work in the TV production field. It didn't exactly work that way. So I, you know, I then sort of, you know, as a 21 or 22 year old, you ask yourself, uh, you know, what do you want to do here? What do you love? And uh, and I've always sort of made it a, I sort of made it a personal a personal mantra to make sure that you're doing stuff that you love uh, for work. And, you know, my other love was, was music. And so I ended up out of college taking a $5 an hour job in a warehouse at a, at a pretty large independent record label in Boston called rounder records. And, um, you know, slogged through a year or so in a warehouse packing and shipping mail order, CDs and vinyl records to, to customers around the world and uh, eventually made my way into the promotion department there at Rounder. And after another year or so, thought to myself, this is easy. I can do this. And uh, so I, I started my own record label and 
you know, did it after work, did it during lunch. Uh, you know, Rounder was sort of very supportive of that type of thing. It was run by, run by hippies pretty much. And, uh, and eventually um, was able to go out on my own. I left Rounder and was able to pay myself a very, very small salary where I could barely afford food. I'd be begging my roommates to eat their leftovers. Starving artists. Yeah, starving artist. Uh, anyway, fast forward, uh, that ended up lasting for about three years. We made some really good inroads there. We got reviews in like Entertainment Weekly. We got a, a national distribution deal through Sony Music. We, you know, so I, I think it's because we released good music and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I learned a lot about profit and loss. I learned a lot about logistics and shipping. Uh, learned to, uh, you know, got to travel around in, in vans with a bunch of bands that I truly loved, you know, so that created some really nice memories and ran up a hell of a lot of debt on my credit cards. Um, but really, uh, a learning experience and a super fun experience. Don't regret it. And then, uh, what is it? Napster came and Napster came and I thought, I'm out. I am out of this immediately, right? Luckily, uh, the internet you know, that, that was right when that first internet boom happened. And I ended up at ask.com, formerly Ask Jeeves. We all remember the butler. You beat me to it. That was yeah. a question. Have you ever met Jeeves? No, I never met Jeeves. And at Ask, I, uh, I was a part of their syndication team, uh, basically selling our search solution out to anybody who needed search on their website. Recall, I mean, Ask Jeeves is kind of... Uh, you know, when you look back as thought of as like one of those internet relics, but I was there for almost 10 years. And, you know, during those 10 years, we were always a top 10 US internet web property. We had our own search algorithms, much like Google. And we, we got bought by Barry Diller's company for, I forget the number, it was billions and billions of dollars. We were a very, very valuable company back then the the benefit of ask the nine years I spent there really were two things one was I was in like a sort of sales and consultative role uh learning the art of negotiation was one of the big things I took from ask uh two maybe the more important one is learning up and down the technology and business of of search engine technology and SEO Right. So understanding how the algorithms work, not not just ask, but Google, you know, all of the other competitors at the time, you know, learning how those algorithms work, learning, uh, you know, where are the where are the small advantages that we can step in, uh, you know, as a competitor to Google, that kind of stuff. So after nine years at ask, I then moved on to pure hockey where. I spent almost six years running their e-commerce and marketing and social business. Um, you know, that's, that's really where, uh, that's really where I learned the lion's share of, uh, of building e-commerce sites, running an e-commerce business. Uh, you know, again, uh, omni-channel marketing. We had at the time 30 physical retail stores across the country. So, you know, sort of uniting uh, when you're, you know, uniting that data into one, you know, marketing strategy in store, online, a uh, lot, you know, doing a lot of work there. So 
that was a really fun job. I'm a lifetime hockey player, uh, really cheap and free gear working at pure hockey. That was awesome. Um, you know, wrote a lot of TV commercials, drove the social uh, business, uh, just a, I wore a lot of hats there. And again, just sort of building up, building up digital muscle is, is how I like to, is how I like to describe it. Yeah, and then after, after Pure Hockey went to uh, Ladon, as you referenced, now that was really helpful in terms of, uh, in terms of learning the B2B side of things, right? Whole different set of, whole different set of rules there, right? Um, different you know, language. Different language, different, uh, you know, the, the whole notion of, uh, of EDI, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the different payment options that come with B2B, the different needs, the, you know, the more complex sales cycles, the whole, you know, we could talk forever about the differences between B2B commerce and, and B2C, but, you know, I, I spent almost, uh, almost two years there uh, ramped up uh, their e-commerce presence. Also, uh, a lot of a lot of social media there as well. A lot of content based on what our customers, our business customers, needed and wanted. Um, and that led me to where I am today, which is uh, which is at Avid. I was you know brought in as a as a director of their web operations team, and uh, over the course of almost four years now, uh, I pretty much own the own the P&L for the e-com business, which is today largely, uh, largely B2C. We do have some of our business customers buying here and there on the, uh, uh, on the e-commerce site at Avid. Uh, we are, you know, as we, as we look forward to 2021 and even, uh, even this year, uh, B2B commerce is heavily on our minds right now. Uh, you know, we're an, an incredibly complex business, you know, down to, down to the SKUs that we sell. It can be very complex with Avid, um, you know, given the different things that our customers are buying, our business customers are buying from us or reselling. So that's one of the big things that we're, uh, that where our heads are right now is, you know, what's our next step with B2B e-commerce? Well, I mean, you guys have a very complicated business. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you guys have done acquisitions like crazy uh, over the, you know, the past 30 years you've been in business. So, I'm sure some of the complications that you have are really dealing with these different, this different IP and how you package and how you promote. And I, I can't imagine that's an easy job. It's not. And, you know, you can, you can buy as an enterprise customer, you can buy product from us in a lot of different ways. You can staple this onto that. You can, you know, uh, what we, what, you know, one of the things that, I'm struggling with in my head as I think about B2B commerce is like, I think we, I think what we need is like some sort of like super customizer <laughs> that I don't think I've ever CPQ. seen. Yeah. You need CPQ. <laughs> yeah. Your price quote. yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, another thing that, you know, that is also on my mind is like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to build up this, this B2B commerce muscle now for ourselves knowing that we have a complex sales cycle, a complex set of, um, of product builds for customers. We have to tie it to CPQ. There's a lot, of, there's a lot going on 
uh, on that side of the business. You know, I would love to say we're like the gap where we can just like throw up in three weeks their whatever their face mask thing was. And, you know, I don't know how many they sold, but they sold a boatload of them. And we, we can't do that at Avid. We don't have, we don't, we can't just sell a face mask. That would <laughs> be a lot simpler than It really would. Yeah. I'm I'm looking for that product that we might be able to blow out the door through a you know through a B2B commerce solution but at Avid it's it's much different uh, it's much different Although I do feel like an Avid face mask I think that would get some promotion I think people who pe- your brand people love and they love the products you make and there's this this I'm not cult following of sorts around Avid so yeah if you put on a face mask Jeff you might be able to sell a few it's funny. It's so funny that you say that, Jason, because I walked in on, again, going back to like March 11th, right? There was already sort of the, the air on, co- it, was in, it was in the, no pun intended, it was in the air. People were talking about COVID and, you know, what, what's, what's going to happen? I, you know, we might not see each other for a month. You know, we haven't seen each other now for, for, seven, for seven months or whatever it is. Uh, but it's funny because on March 10th or 11th, I walked into my office and on my desk was an, uh, an avid face mask. Uh, but I, I, if I remember right now, because it's been a while, I think somebody just wrote it. <laughs> They're an innovator. I think they drew the Avid logo on it. And I'm not sure if it was like a joke uh, for me or if it was like maybe an idea that they were planting in my head. Uh, But we do, you know, we don't, we don't sell a lot of uh, Avid swag per se on our, on our website. We do, we do sell some coffee mugs, uh, you know, with like the Pro Tools user interface or the Media Composer user interface. Those seem pretty popular. Um, But I do see on social media, like lots of people with Avid socks and oh yeah, all kinds of Avid branded stuff. And I'm always thinking like, we should probably sell some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about the user interface of Pro Tools. Uh, one of the things I find very unique still today is the, the user experience on your website. Um, the left navigation almost resembles what a software product looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share your kind of feedback on that? Is that something you guys are going to continue to do more of? Or are you going to move away from it? I kind of like it. I think it's modern and unique. I'm sorry to tell you, Jason, that we're only like two or three weeks away from blowing that thing up. You know, we do a fair amount of user surveys and, and we just keep hearing from customers across all of our swim lanes, e-commerce enterprise channel. We kept, we just kept hearing from our customers. It's sometimes a little bit hard for me to find stuff on your website. And so you know, when you see that coming from your customers, you need to address it. And uh, that's what we've done with this. We've, um, you know, we're making it much easier to find product on the website and, you know, get sort of quicker interaction with what, what the products do and, and, you know, good anchor links and into sort of deeper, uh, deeper pages. Well, great brands are great listeners to what their customers and audience are telling them. So ignore my vote of one. You like the <laughs> oh, no, no, no. navigation. It's not, you're not, you are not the vote of one. Believe me, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it wasn't, uh, it was a controversial uh, move. I think a lot of people do like that left nav and, uh, and then a fair amount of people, of course, don't like it. It's all subjective, right? Uh, yeah. You know, and that's another, you, again, it's a good segue into another thing that i uh, as near and dear to my heart is, uh, you know, the concept of A-B testing, right? Um, you know, one of the things I've tried to bring to out as much as possible is, and I joke about this uh, when I say to people, you know what, your opinion doesn't matter when it comes to the website. <laughs> it's a joke, but it is my way of saying like, 
we cannot be subjective. Like we absolutely have to make our decisions based on the data that we see and the, you know, the user flows that we see and, uh, you know, the testing that we do. Like if, you know, if, you know, you, you can say, I don't like the left nav, right? But if uh, there's no data, there's no data to support, like what is the desired outcome, right? Um, so yeah, we, you know, we, to that end, we always have anywhere between 30 and 50 AB tests running on the site of varying different sizes and complexities. That's fantastic. It's a, it's an excellent practice to have as a, as an ongoing kind of way you run your business. You know, I always say, why guess when you can get the answer? Why guess? Exactly. Yep. Test. Exactly. All right. Well, transitioning to some of the more standard kind of questions we ask in every podcast. Um, I, I want to know, how you stay current. Obviously you look deep into your business, your data, but where, where do you look at external influences? Um, it, some examples of other answers are people like Forrester or Gartner could be competitors. How do you stay current? Who influences you? Well, I have a lot of influences. Um, you know, I, I think given that we're, given that my, my role as the owner of the P and L, at Avid revolves around a business that is almost entirely driven by subscription at this point. Uh, I get, I, I get influenced by other subscriptions that I have, right? So there's your usual suspects. Of course, I'm a, I'm a Netflix subscriber, Spotify, YouTube TV, Audible, Amazon prime. Jeez. Uh, is there anything you don't buy? <laughs> uh, I'm a voracious consumer of media. Yeah, I like uh, it. Yeah. And YouTube TV, thanks for the $20 a month increase in monthly, monthly fee, by the way. That was interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, but I am influenced by that sort of ex the user experience around being a subscriber to something. I watch the emails. I look at, you know, I go into the user interfaces on my TV or on my computer and I see how, what they're doing and how they're presenting, uh, how they're presenting plans. You know, there's like all kinds of different ways to present plans, right? You, you know, you could ask somebody, how often do you want to pay, right? Let the user decide, or you can present three specific plans to somebody. Do you want to pay monthly? Do you want to play? You know, I, I look at that stuff. So I'm influenced by that. You know, I'm also, when we talk about subscriptions, right? Those are your usual suspects. I subscribe to all kinds of other stuff. Uh, I subscribe to trash bags. I subscribe to toothpaste and deodorant and water filters for my refrigerator. Uh, you know, I, so, so that stuff influences me. Those experiences, uh, they influence me and, and, you know, they're also convenient. Uh, so again, a, a little, a little plug for subscriptions in general. And always think about like, you know, electricity in your house is a subscription. Absolutely. You know, it's, a, it's the, maybe the original subscription. Uh, so that, you know, that kind of stuff influences me. And then, you know, in terms of people, I'm always reading. I never miss a post from Avanish Kaushik. He's a, um, uh, an, uh, an analytics and marketing genius in my eyes. He's got a great simple writing style. I've picked up so many great things from reading, uh, reading Avanish's uh, material. Uh, there's a guy named Pep Laha. He's a conversion rate optimist. Um, a conversion rate optimist. I realize I just said that. I'm one of those too. He's a conversion rate optimization uh, guru who runs a runs a, a website called the CXL Institute and 
talk about brass tacks. If you're not reading uh, Pep's stuff at CXL, um, you really should, because you're going to pick up a lot of great stuff from, uh, from him. I read a lot of uh, Fred Wilson. He's a New York City-based venture capitalist. Uh, really good with forward-looking trends. Great taste in music, too, by the way. Uh, good, honest assessment. Like Probably more honest than any venture capitalist blog that I've read. And then I look at search engine land, search engine roundtable. Those are things that are near and dear to my heart. I look at Moz, maybe not as much since Rand Fishkin left. Um, I'm really intrigued by his new business. That Spark Toro, that market and audience research. So I'm looking at that too. And then podcasts, of course. I listen to this one, by the way. Um, right on. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned Andy Piegler before, and I, I wrote to you and I, you know, said to you that that was a terrific podcast, and I really enjoyed that one. Um, so of course, I listened to this one. Uh, you know, the one I think that you did one with Brian Walker from Bloomreach. That was really excellent too. And so I. Um, I also listen to his podcast, which I love. He's got that, uh, he's got a good dry sense of humor and a great laugh. And uh, so I love his podcast too. Uh, I listen to the Harvard Business Review. Uh, good, good for sort of higher level stuff. The, you know, recent ones, well, I think one was uh, The Art of Saying No. I, you know, I love that kind of stuff too. The Power of Persuasion. Uh, that's good stuff. I listen to Zawara's Subscribed podcast. Yep. Um, and then there's a new one I've been listening to lately, again, in the theme of B2B e-commerce. It's called The Hard Truth About B2B Commerce. And that one is um, hosted by a gentleman named Isaiah Bollinger from a company called Trellis. Uh, so I just started listening to that. It's relevant to me more so now than, than any time. Those are fantastic resources. Thank you for that. Uh, we'll try and for our listener, put some of those in the show notes so you can kind of click some links and get access to some of the stuff Jeff was describing. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, a couple other, one other question probably to, before we wrap up is yeah. you're, you're obviously a student of the game. You're a conversion optimist. <laughs> and uh, which means you just are really hoping that, you know, you believe things yeah. turn out well. But uh, what, uh, what e-commerce experience do you hold to be just unique and world-class and special? And, and try not to say Amazon. Uh, you know what? I, I'll talk about Amazon for just one second. Sure. I don't love, I don't love their product pages. They're too overwhelming for me. Uh, what I do love is how simple it is to buy something there. Uh, you know, the, the, the one click buy button, all of that stuff. So, so that, you know, I mean, they're a behemoth, right? But you know, when I think of like the kind of, e-commerce experiences I love. I don't necessarily think about Amazon. I think about them almost as a utility for me now. Um, when I think about like good personalized e-commerce experiences, I, I think about another thing that I subscribe to, which is deodorant. Uh, I'm one of those guys who always like, before I could subscribe to deodorant, I was always on the verge of running out and telling myself, Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go get some deodorant, or there's gonna be some trouble. Uh, and then you know, life happens, and one day you wake up and you take a shower, and you realize you're out of deodorant, and then trouble happens. Uh, so a subscription to deodorant makes a lot of sense for me personally. So there's this company called Native that's out there, and and they started off as really just selling deodorant. I think they've expanded now into 
body washes and maybe toothpaste and, and other things like that. But their experience is so simple uh, and, and so nice and so easy. And it also, this is the part I love the most. It's really like, well, it's it's the, the content and the copy is so well done. The order confirmation email is it's unbelievably awesome, right? I wish I could read it to you. I don't have it up right now, but it's something along the lines of like, hi, Jeff, we were sitting around the offices here at Native when your order came in and we all yelled and celebrated when we saw that you bought charcoal deodorant, you know, and it went on for like a paragraph or two and man, it kept, it just kept my interest and it made me smile. Uh, it was just like from soup to nuts, man. Right when you get to the homepage, Lots of white space, lots of simplicity, no noise, uh, just a, a super pleasant experience across the board. So native is the one that I'm gonna I'm gonna attach my attach my wagon to on this podcast. Well, they're definitely gonna get a visit from me. I don't know if they'll get a buy, but I'll check it out. I, I love the answer uh, because what you've what you've just described is a is a company or a brand that is maniacally focused on the right experience. They're trying to give you not too much information, but the right information. Yep. And, and a brand that's really trying to talk to you and build a relationship, even, even just through things like confirmation emails. That's a fantastic example. I'm going to study that. Yeah. And then the other thing I love is, you know, when I, when I, th- I can't, I couldn't point to a single brand here, but one other thing that I really love, especially since COVID happened is just the, uh, the explosion of, you know, local businesses who, you know, had to scramble. They had no choice if they wanted to continue to make any kind of money. They had to scramble to get themselves online. And just how easy it is for me now to to, to order a sandwich or to, 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 to you know, I've this summer started playing golf because I can't play hockey because of COVID. To book a tea time, you know, uh, all that stuff, all that stuff that's happening at the local level and at the small to mid mid-sized business level is really, uh, is really encouraging and, and hopeful for me. Uh, and, and of course, tremendous for the Spotify, I mean, not Spotify, Shopify. Uh, yeah, the Shopify's of the world, uh, of course, uh, are going to reap the benefits at some point. They already are, but you know, the, the explosion of that, of that small to mid-market e-commerce in the next few years is going to be, uh, is going to be extremely impactful. Yep. I, I, think, uh, I think what you just said is that Main Street now starts to have the tools to fight back. Yeah. You know, they've, they've been losing to, to big business and mega corporations and conglomerates for many years yep. because they didn't have the same ability to put a website up, to book a tea time, to yep. do all these things in an automated, digital, efficient way that the big kids had. So yep. pretty interesting turn of events. Yeah. It's a, you know, it is now a much more open, easily accessible way to start a business. It is, it's easier to do it now than it was even a year ago, or obviously, you know, two, three years ago, but uh, it's really opened the door, I think, to some, some very, very interesting things coming in the next year or two. Yep. Well, Jeff, I think we're probably at about at time, but I just want to, uh, I want to thank you. I thought this was a very interesting conversation. I, I appreciate you kind of letting us under the covers a little bit on what's going on with Avid and, and sharing some of your unique experience. So Jeff, if people want to get in touch with you, is, 
is LinkedIn or Twitter? What's the, what's the best way? I'm on all of them. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. Just search me at uh, Jeff Kapitas. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on them all. Uh, pretty active on, on, uh, on most of them. So feel free to reach out. Wonderful. Thanks again, Jeff. Wonderful discussion. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm glad we could do it. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.